0: It's the Locked On Flyers podcast for Monday, July 31st, your daily dose of Flyers news analysis and high quality content that's comparing the Iser plan to the Danny rebuild. I don't know. Do we have a name for it yet? We
1: don't even have a name for it yet. No,
0: we don't. We're going to get into that with the guys from Locked On Red Wings all on today's show. Your Locked On
2: Flyers, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of the Locked
0: On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there. Thanks for making Locked On Flyers your first listen every day. I am Rachel Donner. You can find me on Twitter, I guess it is, at @r_miriam. I'm here (laughs) with Russ Cohen, who's on all your favorite social media apps at Sportsology. We are on Instagram and Threads and Blue Sky at Locked On Flyers as well. You can subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or on the SiriusXM app. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you'll get our latest episode as soon as it's available here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We are going to get straight into our crossover up with the Locked On Red Wings guys coming up right now for locked on flyers fans we have been so excited for this episode and to get to talk to the guys at locked on red wings to get just some insight about steve eiserman's tenure at the helm there and how the rebuild is going and what it could mean for the flyers welcome brian and scott from locked on red wings
2: Thanks for having us. We're really excited to do this uh, crossover as the Red Wings look to take that step forward in their rebuild and, you know, maybe help provide some insight on what you guys as Flyers are probably in store for. And it's nothing short of painful, but um, (laughs) being Flyers fans, I'm sure you're not too too unfamiliar with that.
3: Yes. Yeah. yeah the um, I'm, I'm very excited. The team that uh, we we have, like the Philly curse thing that lasted for the Red Wings forever. Like we never went in Philly, literally ever. So definitely, yeah, definitely pumped to uh, to kind of pick your guys's brain as well.
0: Absolutely. So I think the first question we would have for y'all is when did the Red Wings rebuild actually start? Was it in the Ken Holland era or really was it when Iserman took over?
2: Well, Red Wings fans, uh, we believe that the rebuild didn't truly start until the summer of 2019 when Steve Eiserman took over uh, because Holland and Iserman had very different roadmaps, let's say, to getting this team back on track. Uh, the waning years of the playoff streak was all about just keeping the streak alive. We were at 25 years, and Mike Illich, uh, you know, rest in peace, wanted that re- that streak to go on as long as possible, kind of Holland was trading off assets to get over the hill vets like David Leguan to come in and try and keep that streak alive. And then it fell apart. And uh, it became pretty clear, pretty fast that Holland didn't really know how to build a rebuilding team. In fact, he never had to do so when he took over the Red Wings as general manager, that team was already a championship contender. And for the first half of his tenure there, it was a, not a salary cap league. So he just had to throw money at guys. Uh, the salary, Once the salary cap started, he inherited some great prospects in Datsuk and Zetterberg. So, I mean, once this team really started to have to rebuild, it was clear, like I said, that he wasn't quite equipped with that. And then Iserman came in, and basically anyone that Holland had was gone roster-wise. And we only have a handful of guys that he drafted on this team, Captain Dylan Larkin being one of them. But outside of that, Eisman had no prospects in the cupboard, the cabinet when he took over and now it's stocked full. So for Red Wings fans, 2019 was the beginning of it. So we are entering what year five. Now it'll be year five of
3: the rebuild in our eyes. Controversial question for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. One of the um, hard things about a rebuild in any sport is uh, it's not a perfect science. And then you could actually see things starting to fail while you're still rebuilding. And that's right now I see the red wings doing that because like with, um, master Simone, it seems like they don't want any part of him. They, you know, he just hasn't developed and, and Zadina, you know, he's, he's pretty much done there. And so like, you know, these are, you know, what maybe were thought to be good pieces down the road and they haven't worked out now, of course they're going to have plenty that work out too, but that's that's part of it. It's like, it's not easy to just have, you really can't have a 400% homegrown rebuild. I can tell you that for
2: sure. Well, and that's oh. why Iserman has taken as many darts as possible to throw him at the board. Like every draft he's had 11 or 12 picks. It seems.
3: Yeah. Well, and, and that's the, that's the thing is it's, it's like a lot of people like to differentiate like who is an Iserman draft pick and who is a Ken Holland draft pick. And like Zadina like is pretty much the cutoff for that. Right. Like, and, and there's still some like Holland, you know, picks that are trickling through and, and there's a couple of late bloomers like Michael Rasmussen and whatnot. But um, I mean, yeah, that, you know, kind of piggybacking off the, the first question there. Like, that's why a lot of people argue over when the rebuild started and why if you ask Eiserman, it's when he took over as well.
1: Sure. But I will tell you this, the scouts and when Ken Holland made those picks, uh, it's still the Iserman crew there that are developing. So sure. that's what you have. You have to count the the crew that's there trying to develop them, regardless.
2: Yeah, I mean, when it, when it comes to the the prospects that they have already, like Zadina, and it's revisionist history now in Red Wings land that you know because Ken Holland or Zadina was a Ken Holland pick that uh, Zadina was just like the bad pick. But if you ask Red Wing fans in 2018 what they thought of the Zadina pick, we were overwhelmingly positive about it because i liked it a
1: lot too i I was a big zadina guy i'm not gonna lie
2: yeah and i was pumped about it too and it's revisionist history because it didn't work out to say oh typical ken holland didn't work out but then you see it it, it's it's this is where i i don't think ken holland necessarily ran because a lot of the scouts are the same there's a lot like hakan anderson's been there since like the 90s you know it's it's almost some of the scouting
1: directors got changed that's what changed
2: yeah because Draper is now the uh, amateur scout director. So it's, it got to a point where like people just like to criticize whatever Ken Holland did when, and not everything he did was bad. I don't think Michael Rasmussen should have been taken at nine, but he's turned into a nice piece for the Red Wings. He really had a breakout season last year before his Mm -hmm. injury. So there are some nice pieces that the Red Wings have that were from the Ken Holland era. So when you, when you look at the Red Wings rebuild though, overall, I mean, I like a lot of what Steve Eiserman has done. Um, he focused a lot on the blue line. You know, Mort Sider. We talk about how he loved the Zadina pick when he was drafted. A lot of us were scratching our heads when Mort Sider was picked at sixth overall.
0: And not me. I was jealous. <laughs> Super <love it>. jealous. <laughs>
1: I had a lot of info on Sider. I admit it. I mean, I I get to watch a certain amount of video with stat, but I also had three reporters that I could lean on in in the, the DEL. To ask about during the year a few different times so it made me look smarter i admit that
2: (laughs) i mean he's been absolutely fantastic and he he's really put an emphasis on the blue line early on in the draft and you know this year our biggest problem was that they didn't have any goal scoring and really any center depth they got marco casper last year at uh
0: does not sound familiar at all right
2: (laughs) uh but then he got out went out there and got to bring it he drafted nate danielson who he thinks is going to be a great two-way center um, he's got Carter Mazur, who looks like he could be a good middle six winger. Uh, Jonathan Bergren, I think, is pretty underrated as a prospect in NHL land in general. Uh, Jonathan Berggren is going to be a pretty solid middle six. But the problem is still, outside of DeBrincki, goal scoring in general. He's built up that decourse so well. But now it's time to focus on goal scoring. But it makes sense. Like you, we talk about, you know, want to make an uh, analogy to the NFL building the trenches, right? That's where a lot of NFL teams begin because you mm-hmm. can have a lot of success just by having a good offensive and defensive line. Well, the Red Wings are doing the same thing in the NHL version, having a good blue line. Um, though a lot of those guys aren't at the NHL level yet, but you got William Wallander, uh, you got Albert Johansson, Simon Edmondson, obviously, and now Axel sandin Like you're, You have a, just a plethora of NHL-caliber defensemen, guys who are ready. Now, obviously not Pelica yet, but three of those guys are... All, damn near NHL ready right now so it's going to be a competitive roster in the next couple of years which is why the Red Wings are poised to really take that step forward hopefully sooner rather than later the problem then just becomes you look at the division they play in and it gets a lot more daunting
0: yeah so you, you mentioned to and to me when you go after a big fish like that and you get them that means like you're sort of coming out of the rebuild and you're in a different phase of your progress. Would you agree or disagree with that statement and how big an impact do you think he'll have?
3: Yeah, I, I think that that is not only the mindset within the organization, but I, I really do think that that's the fan base's mindset too. And like Brian brings up the division and that's obviously a, a great point and something that we, you know, it's kind of out of our control to an extent, right? Like it, it's a it's a really, really good division, but um, I, I think that going out and, and making a move like that with such a prolific goal score already at such a young age like that's the the, the kind of move where you, you almost like circle it on your calendar and that's like that's when the not the like ascension right like they were better last year than they were the year before but you kind of to point to that and be like that's when the front office kind of flipped from oh we're going to keep trading off assets and and keep trying to get younger and younger to like okay now it's It's not that the brink it's like 35 or anything like that, but like now it's like, okay, we're actually trying to win right now, which is something that I don't think this organization has has really been able to say in seven years, at least if not, you know, tag another year onto that. So uh, yeah, it's super exciting. And I I completely agree with that as far as like his impact goes, I mean, he's going to be on a, on a line with Dylan Larkin. And we just talked about this on, on uh, Monday's show for us um, where Larkin is, is playmaker first and like he he'll get, you know, his 30 goals if he plays a full season, but he's playmaker first. And having that, this is, this is probably the best goal scorer that Dylan Larkin's ever shared a line with in his entire career. Like there's a legitimate argument for that. So I, I think that it's, it's a just exciting, but, B. When talking about what this team needed, like uh, they took a lot, made a lot of improvements last year, and the biggest thing that they needed was just a pure top end goal score And putting that alongside Dylan, alongside Dylan Larkin, is incredibly exciting.
0: We'll have more with Scotty and Brian coming up next.
1: Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel. You get ten times your first bet amount in bonus bets, up to two hundred bucks. That's right, just. Bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200 you could spend betting everything from the money line to the over under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. All in the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com locked to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's fanduelcom locked on. FanDuel official partner of Major League Baseball.
0: We'll get back to our conversation with the Locked On Red Wings guys. We are going to do our mailbag segment on the Wednesday show. So get those questions in. You can email us at LockedOnFlyers at Gmail. You can comment over on YouTube or you can tweet us at Flyers.
1: Yeah, one, one thing Steve, Steve Eiserman has shown is he doesn't want to spend money on goaltending. Uh, he keeps rotating them around. And I think Husso's is pretty good. And, and I do like Kosa. I don't know um, exactly what Kosa's high end, like in, in his draft year, I liked him, but not as much as other people. So, you know, we don't know how long he'll take, but in the end, I doesn't want to spend a lot on goaltending. And you do kind of wonder, is that going to be the area where uh, in a year or two, they're all of a sudden like the hurricanes and they're still looking for that. Cause Kosa hasn't come around yet. And he still needs a little more time. That could be the problem.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, That was a huge need a couple off-seasons ago, and that's why when they drafted Kosa and they traded for Nedeljkovic, I mean, Scotty and I were like, oh, my God, they addressed the goaltending issue because we were thinking that Nedeljkovic coming off a Calder finalist year, at that time I didn't quite realize the system that Carolina puts together kind of shelters goalies, really. (laughs) like You look at every goalie that's ever played for Carolina in the last like five years, they have career years, then go on elsewhere to not replicate that. Um, So we were thinking like, it's solved, the problem's over. And then Nedeljkovic ends up not being anything close to what we were hoping. And then on top of that, you know, Sebastian Kosa, goalies are weird, right? Development Mm -hmm. is strange for goalies. It's hard to project. He went to Grand Rapids first, the AHL Farm Club, and he struggled. And then they sent him to the ECHL Club, the Toledo Walleye, and he struggled at first, but then he got his crap together and he was phenomenal the rest of the season at the ECHL level. So while well, it's great to see, okay, this guy they spent a the first-round draft pick on has been fantastic, well, now we have to see him do it at the AHL level. And th- that's the thing is he, he is basically going to have an open door to be the goalie at the AHL level. It's going to be him and Alex Lyon pretty much competing for that. John Letheman, also the other goaltender for the ECHL, Toledo Walleye was fantastic as well. He got signed to an NHL contract with the Red Wings, so it's going to be him and COSA basically competing for that, that AHL roster spot. But, I mean, we got to – goalies you can't predict. Like, it could be another – goalies have rookie seasons at, like, age 27. So, who mm-hmm. knows when he's going to finally make it, which I think is why they uh, – Augustine was the other goalie they drafted early in the second round this year because yeah. they realized that depth is still an issue. But I, I think you're right on the money, Ross. Like, this team could be ready to compete and then still be searching for a goalie if COSA doesn't work out. And, like, that's the biggest question mark is you've got to – you almost have to just pray that Kosa works out. So this team it's is not even that he
1: doesn't work out just if he yeah. does take the long development cycle. Yeah. That's all.
2: And he's For like sure. what? 22 now, maybe yeah. I, I don't know off the yeah. top of my head. So it's, it could be another five years before he's ready as I, said, I don't think NHL. it will be,
1: but it could be, it's not but impossible. That's the,
2: that's the point. It's not impossible. Like they, they definitely need to be deeper in that field so that yeah. you can have that Dreimer career wise typically is better than he was last year. Uh, he's been like a, I think his career safe percentage is like nine Oh eight, something along those lines pretty good throughout the rest of his career. Uh, He's older now. You hope he can rebound off that bad year. And if not, then maybe Alex Lyon can replicate what he did at the Panthers during the regular season in that small sample size. But, you know, you definitely have a big question mark at goaltending. Nothing. You can definitely lean on and say, that's the guy.
0: Yeah. Well, we know Alex Lyon pretty well uh, (laughs) as well. Spent some time in our organization and he, he has uh, his moments where he shines like that.
3: We'll take it. We'll take a. We'll take a guy. Who, I mean, he like he. I mean, he's going to go into the season as you know the, the. I guess like makeshift third stringer. But like, yeah, that was, like to Brian's point that that goaltender is a is a position where the the one B to Huso is still like a pretty big question mark and has been for ever since we brought in Huso, right? Like. That that's been uh, the 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 one B really whoever the one A is the one B has been a huge question for the last you know two or three years now and uh, like you need two goalies it really in, in today's day and age of hockey you know unless you got one of the few that's going to go out there and play like sixty five games or something like that like you really need you need to uh, at least have a reliable option there and so yeah we're hoping we find out found that with Reimer. but uh, they got deeper and, and I think that was the alternative they were like look no one out there that we can get. This summer is going to immediately be able to plug in and like we're going to have all the confidence in the world that they can be a legitimate one B. So we're just going to bring in like, you know, 13 goalies in one offseason instead and just address depth instead of, you know, have a solidified uh, number two there because it really wasn't available.
0: So given all that, like what's the pressure like on the Red Wings this upcoming season, given where you are in this rebuild
3: yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I I think that this is the first year where there there is pressure, and like the 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 first few years after Eiserman was hired, there was really this like this dude can do no wrong, it doesn't matter, like the team is so bad and he's tearing it down even more, and it's already bad, right? And then, like the COVID year, they bottomed out and we're on pace to be one of the worst teams I've ever seen in my life, and like. They, they do bottom out and like, you know, Iserman's just kind of untouchable, like you can't really criticize him. He inherited nothing. He inherited no farm, no NHL talent. It was really an, an empty cabinet that he took over from Holland. And so um, he, he kind of got off without any criticism really of any sort. And it was just kind of this cool story like Iserman's back home kind of thing. I think this is – last year you finally, for the first time, started to see some rumblings. Not that, you know, people do, certainly don't have pitchforks and he still is, like, very, very well-liked and and his uh, his approval rating, I would imagine, would still be very, very high at the present moment. But it was the first time you kind of started people seeing, like, hey, we're getting really impatient here. Can we, like, kind of get the show on the road? And, I, I again, I think the DeBrinket trade really, really – Uh, kind of signified that as you alluded to earlier but I do think there's pressure I think this is the first year in Iserman's entire tenure where there really is pressure like legitimately I don't think there was I don't think anyone was going into last season expecting this to be a playoff team and certainly none of the years before that like this is really the first year since Iserman took over that that there is any sort of pressure and I think it's it's decent not that people are going to you know, be again like grabbing pitchforks if they miss the playoffs this year. But as long as there's sizable improvement, I think most people will understand. But yeah, I I think there I think there is for probably the first time in, in almost a decade, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree with Scotty. I think that if Iserman doesn't if the team doesn't start taking noticeable steps forward, like they've been incrementally getting better in the standings and points-wise last few years, but this is and, and to his defense, right? Like we, we talk about how he could do no wrong the first few years. I mean, he's had to try and put together a competitive roster without a top-three draft pick at any point. There was all those years the Red Wings were one of the worst teams in the league, and the draft lottery screwed them every single year. It's one. Yeah, of They had many, no luck, that's true. No luck. And you look at the teams that have taken steps forward in recent years, and they have had lottery luck. I mean, the Buffalo Sabres, for instance, they flipped their number-two overall pick, Jack Eichel, and turned that into – you know, a couple of really good players. They had Rasmus Dahlin, Owen Power. The Devils is another example. Jack Hughes, Nico uh, Hischier. Uh, the Rangers recently. Uh, I mean, of course, Capo Capococco and uh, Lafreniere haven't necessarily been super vital to their rebuild. But my point still stands is every single team that's taken a huge step forward has gotten lottery luck. The Red Wings haven't gotten that. They've had to pull diamonds out of the rough. I think Lucas Raymond at fourth overall might just end up being the second-best player in that draft next to Tim Stutzla. Tim Stutzla's been fantastic. Yeah, I don't think anybody would
1: be shocked at that, though. That wouldn't shock me. I I was very high on Raymond, so that was a smart pick.
2: More cider Again, I go back to him. Uh, After that, it's been pretty much safe picks. I think Simon Edmondson was a safe pick. I think Marco Casper was a safe pick. I think Nate Danielson was a safe pick. But
1: Danielson is the safest of safe picks, but I'm not a huge fan. Casper is a safe pick, but I do like a lot of Casper. Danielson... To me, is like, mm, seems a little ordinary, but we'll see.
2: Yeah. And so Iserman's had to build a competitive roster without that lottery luck. And I think this is Red Wings fans are just kind of so fed up with being, and last year they were competitive and they were in it up until like about the trade deadline. They didn't get officially eliminated until the last week of the season. But this year, like, you can't get caught in that middle, right? Like, you get caught in that middle. Like, I like to call the Minnesota wild, where they're, (laughs) for like two straight decades, they always finished right outside the playoffs or first-round exit. Like, you don't want to get stuck there. And so, iserman has got to find a way to make this team take a leap into serious competitiveness, while at the same time doing it without having the insane luck some of these other teams get. Chicago Blackhawks losing Jonathan Tays and Patrick Kane then immediately getting Connor Bedard. Don't get me started on that. So it's just it's a it's a predicament. Predicament. You'll get sure. no argument from us on that. <laughs> no, you won't. Ridiculous. Um but he's done a great job so far, but the pressure's definitely on to like make this team take the leap.
0: I want to switch gears a little bit because one of the things in the Flyers rebuild land, like the big questions that a lot of fans have is Hiring John Tortorella when we did to be the head coach. He's not like a rebuild coach kind of guy. And I know the Red Wings made a coaching change in the middle of the rebuild. And I'm just wondering if that really relates to the whole rebuild process. And how do you think it's gone in in Detroit?
2: Um, Derek alone, I think it was the right time to get a new head coach. And I think Derek Lalonde was, or the Red Wings are the perfect team for a guy like Derek Lalonde to have his first head coaching gig. Uh, the Jeff Blaschel had been there since I think the last couple years of the playoff run and all the way through the bottoming out of the rebuild and players or fans rather were calling for Jeff Blaschel's head for several seasons. It didn't make sense to bring in a new head coach when the team was still not going to be a competitive roster, you know, or, or a team not at least making that change towards being competitive. And so they kept him, but then it became very apparent at the end of the 2022 season that his, his message got stale. I mean, the second half of that season and Scotty and I remember it the opposite of fondly. It was very painful. They were getting blown out almost every single game. Almost every single game, it was crazy—like six, seven goals. I remember there was one game. Didn't the didn't the Penguins score like eleven on the Red Wings at one yeah. point? That's during that season, <laughs> Scotty. Correct. Yes. And it was very apparent that like okay, they were not responding to Blash on the locker room anymore, and it was just time. And it kind of signaled in you're bringing in a coach that came from a. I believe Derek Lalone was one of Israeman's last hires mm-hmm. in tampa before he left to come back towards detroit or at least that weird like took that gap year uh like kids do between high school and college where he was still part of the tampa bay organization but he wasn't their general manager anymore so he kind of had some familiarity with Derek alone he came from uh the tampa bay lightning system which is a system that eisman helped grow and it was a good opportunity for a because it's hard to get like a coach with pedigree like really good pedigree i'm not talking about like a carousel coach a coach with really good pedigree to come to a rebuilding team i think Eisman took a flyer on a guy who came from a good system, who he thought was going to implement a defense-first mentality. Because Eisman has been drafting nothing but defensemen, and that's been very clear. What has Derek Lalonde's mantra has been has been defense first. So, I mean, it it is a huge thing for the Detroit Red Wings that this system take a step forward this year. Because as much better as the Red Wings were in year one over the last year of Blashill, they were still pretty bad last year. But now in year two of everybody knowing the system. It's time for that system to really click into place and learn. As far as the Flyers go, I was baffled when they hired John Tortorella last season because, I mean, and you guys can speak on the John Tortorella thing more than – well, way more than I could. But that roster didn't look like a competitive roster to me, and it felt like the Flyers were trying to go for it when they shouldn't have been. And they get a coach who, and to John Tortorella's credit, everywhere he goes, the first couple of years are usually like, he puts a fire under their ass and they make it to the playoffs. You look at the blue jackets. But then after like two or three years, it just kind of falls off. So I was like, is John Tortorello really the right coach for this Flyers team? And I mean, you could, it, it ended with your general manager getting fired right after the trade deadline. <laughs> so maybe it didn't work out, but I mean, like you, you tell me like, what do you think about the Tortorella situation?
1: Well I mean I could answer easily yeah they they hired him because they thought they were in a winning situation and and a lot a lot of us didn't buy it but when you know Fletcher figured out they weren't in a winning situation anymore and then Tortorella figured it out maybe like three quarters into the season last year even he admitted then at that point this job's going to be a lot harder than I thought so you know that that's
3: to me that said a lot. The craziest thing about the, the torts thing to me was just the timing of all of it. Because, like, to Brian's point, I don't think anyone, I mean, like, you just spoke on it too. Like, I don't think anyone was really like fooled by like the like all in win now type of thing. And, yeah, like, of all years when there's a generational prospect at the top of the lottery, like, that just seems like the last like thing that I would want to do if I, unless I was 100% sure I was going to win. So, I, I think that that was the. The biggest thing for me personally was just like, really, like we're, we're, you know, and like who knows how much, how much torts really influenced them. But like you guys played yourselves out of not that, you know, your roster was necessarily as bad as those teams that finished at the very bottom, but like you ended up being kind of in that, uh, like closer to that no man's land, you know, as Brian said, the Minnesota wild area as far as draft position goes
0: It's the Chuck Fletcher special. We'll call it.
2: <laughs> I do have right. a question for you guys, though, regarding a very coveted winger in your guys' system, Travis Konechny. Uh, You know, he's got two years left on his... five, making $5.5 million, 26 years old, prime of his career, had, what, 35 goals, something like that last year. I mean, if the Flyers are entering a full-scale rebuild, you would think that Travis Konechny, even at 26 years old, considering how long rebuilds can take, might not be part of that future. And him having you know, a very, that's a very nice number on his contract, five and a half million for two more years at his production. I mean, is he like a prime candidate to get traded this offseason or at the deadline, or do you guys think he's going to be there to help usher in the next flyers era?
0: I mean, I think a decision is going to be made at trade deadline. And, you know, depending on how he does this upcoming season up through the deadline I think that that's just going to be the deciding factor that if he's successful enough that they can sell really, really high, they're going to do it. If he's not successful enough to sell high, they may wait until the off season to try and get a better return. I I think that there's a very, very small chance he'll be around for the duration of the rebuild, just given that affordability, given the skill set, given the timeline ostensibly i mean looking at the red wings that's you know four or five years to get playoff competitive if that's what the flyers are in for and, and there's some you know there's some parallels to be made there with former star player coming back to gm the team <laughs> <laughs> you know maybe for for connectney and his own interest it may be better for him to be elsewhere as well
1: yeah the only thing i'll add is you know based on things that I had heard uh, on good authority is yeah, I'm pretty sure Briere did talk to Eisenman and it re- was a quick call. Like he didn't get anywhere near what he was hoping Eisenman went with the usual, uh, I don't want to say low ball offer, but. You oh know, no, it is.
2: You And,
1: and so I think after that, that's when Briere was kind of like, all right, we're just going to hang on to him right now. But I think, I think that's who he, I think, cause Eisenman probably reached out because he saw connect as kind of one of those guys that could really help that I think that's when Briere realized all right yeah this isn't the time to trade him
3: I I do really quickly I am a a huge Carter Hart fan and I just want. I don't even have like a specific like oh like question in regards to him I just want to know like his career has been such a a I guess like roller coaster is kind of the word I want to use right like he was called up so young and then you know, at one point, like struggled for a little bit and there was kind of a target on his back. And it, it's just been, it, it's been a, a lot of bumps, even if they are kind of small hills at points. And I just want to know what the current mindset within the fan base and what you believe the mindset is the, of the front office in regards to Harden and, and his role on the team going forward.
1: I mean, I'll answer the front office one. I think the mindset of the front office is they like him. Uh They haven't offered him a contract because they don't know what's going on with Hockey Canada. Yeah. And yeah. So they're kind of hamstrung with that because they probably would like to see and they may have an idea of what he's going to look for and then sort of decide if he's going to be there on the other side of the rebuild. So they're they're kind of stuck. They can't do anything right now.
3: Gotcha. It's like where John Gibson was with the Ducks for all those years, just kind of that weird like, oh, should they move on? Should they not? We don't really know kind of a thing. Fair enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That Hockey Canada thing is really just, you know, screeching everything to a halt with everything in terms of, you know, is there going to be some sort of situation where uh, they're going to have to look elsewhere for goaltending? We just don't know. Uh, But on the ice, I would say, you know, obviously he's had some injury problems, but I think the general perception is that it's been the defense in front of him that's the problem and not him. So that. I, I think that he does have support in the fan base.
2: And, you know, you bring up a good point because, as much as I mean, I was harping on Alex Adelkovich, and yeah, I mean, him and Vili Husso's goals saved above expected this past year were pretty abysmal, some of the worst in hockey. But the Red Wings defense in front of him was literally one defensive pair. It was Morris Sider and Jake Wallman. I mean, outside of that, you know, Olimata had a great start to the year, kind of fell apart. They dealt Phil Peronica away at the deadline. Uh, ben Sherrod is. Ben Chirac. I, I. That's as far right. as I would say about Ben Chirac. Yeah. Yep. Uh, because I don't want to just bag on the guy. And then the other guy. It was a ro- no one could ever solidify the sixth defensive spot. It was a rotation of Osterley, Robert Hag, and Gustav Lindström, because none of them were ever good oh, with Robert being an every
0: Hague. dayer. Yeah. Robert yeah. Hague, baby. We actually yeah.
2: kind of like Robert Hag. Not gonna lie. We do too. We um, yeah, do. Yeah, he's a likable guy. <laughs> he's, a, he's he's a good cool. guy. But it, it was just like likable guy, but not an every dayer in this lineup. Uh, and that he's says, a great, to great be-
3: seventh D man
2: to not yep. be an everyday yep. er on the Red Wings and there being three <laughs> defensemen who right. can't, you have, they were carrying like nine D man and three of them couldn't figure out how to be the sixth <sighs> defenseman full time. Like the Red Wings defensive situation was abysmal last year. So, you know, Billy had a really rough second half of the year after starting fantastic. Same thing happened to Nedeljkovic the year before. So like with a better, like as much as people like to bag on the Justin Hall contract, I think he, on, I honestly, I know he was putrid in the playoffs, but I think he gets a little bit too much blame because he comes from the Toronto media market and then he became their scapegoat. I think he's a better defenseman than they say he is. And yeah, we're I think we're going to clip
1: this for prosperity. Cause I'm not sure this, is, <laughs> this could be a bad hill to die on. I'm just, I, I'm not
2: dying on it. He's I'm not saying he's a better defenseman. I'm not saying he's a good defenseman. Okay. All right. Um, he, he's going to be exactly what the Red Wings sign to be. I think he's going to be, over- he's overpaid because the free agent market was too much. It, that you can't argue that everyone is overpaid this year it's free agency every single year especially in this weak market I think Comfort was overpaid but I still like the signing but Justin Hall is an improvement over their roster from last year if you look at who was on their defensive core um, Shane ghost bear I love that signing so much I mean yeah, how buddy. we not talked about ghost yet like fantastic totally, I love that signing so it is, even though it can. You look at the players they sign. You go, this is better. Yes, it is better than what they had last year. So hopefully, Villahuso can kind of have a little bit of a bounce back year, given that the pair in front of him or the core in front of him is going to be at least incrementally better than what it was the year right. prior.
0: And Ghost is a lot of fun. I think you'll you'll enjoy having him. He brings offense to, to that, that, that back team. end,
3: which desperately needs it. Yeah, we, but, yeah. we literally both have like ghost as like our favorite addition of outside of, I guess, to bring it now, our favorite free agent signing we'll
0: say of the right. entire off season. Nice. Nice. You know, given where the Red Wings are right now, like how do you like, what advice would you give to Flyers fans in terms of patience and dealing with the next several years?
3: <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I I think that
2: grit your teeth and bear it. <laughs> right.
3: I I think that that within that question, I I think is honestly like where the answer comes a lot of times. Like it's just it, it's one of those things where like patience is something that not only like the fan base I'm not really like as worried about, and like you guys are much more in tune to that than I am, obviously. But like like last season, we just talked about right like their decision to go with torts right like that almost feels like instead of the fan base being impatient that almost feels like a like a front office impatient move and i think that that's something that the the stars need to align there like you 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 we talk about we've talked about the minnesota wild like eight times in this episode for some reason but like they um like you need to you need to have a direction like you can't you can't within like our city like the pistons did it too like they were the best team to miss the playoffs for like 12 years and didn't do anything like you you have to you just have to pick a direction and if that ends up being you know like continuing to to trade off pieces like some of the names we've already talked about today or or whether that's just like this you know what ride or die like we're going to see what happens and we're just going to keep building around it at least it is a direction you just you cannot do the caught in the middle thing. And that's really like, I I would say, even if, even if you disagree with the direction they pick, as long as they pick a direction, you're better off than a lot of other franchises.
2: Yeah. I think Scotty nailed it. Pick a direction and commit to it because you can't flip flop year in and year out. I mean, another example, I think uh, to get off to, to leave Seth's Minnesota wild alone. I think the Columbus blue jackets are another great example of a team that flip flops every single year, deciding whether or not they're rebuilding or they want to commit. And, It's painful. It's going to suck. It has sucked. I mean, especially I'm 27 years old. I've been blessed. I was up until they weren't in the playoffs. I knew nothing but playoff success my entire life. I mean, I was born in 96 and 97, 98, 02, 08, all that was in my lifespan. And then boom, now they're bottom of the barrel. And you just got to commit to that. And they can get hot. You got to realize, just stay realistic with what you have. And kind of honestly, you know, are us included, like w- you know, we tend to overvalue our own players as well. Uh, you got to really be realistic with what you got, you know, on your NHL roster, you might have a player that is a fan favorite, but you have to ask yourself, is this player really going to be on this roster when this team's ready to compete? I mean, Travis connecting, I guess is. I go back to that example. Like he's great. He's a fantastic player. And if this roster was ready to compete now, he'd be a great piece to have, but, this, this is Rebuilds... gonna be
0: me when they trade Scott Lawton, and I'm going to cry many, I mean, many tears. Cause they... I just love the guy. <laughs> and he's a perfect like third liner, like contributor, great leader, and I love everything about him. Well, and but we love Darren that, Helm, you know. But
2: <laughs> I mean, at some point you gotta you gotta let him go because that's just yeah. the reality of it. Rebuilds take oftentimes like five years at least. I mean, we're entering year five and we're hoping that the Red Wings can make waves in a very competitive Atlantic division. And that's not even a guarantee. So, I mean, it's just be patient, be realistic with what you have and, you know, commit to that, to that rebuild because it's, it's going to suck. But the, the prospects you can get back in return. I mean, if you're, if you're get lucky with the lottery, especially, I mean, you could be looking at five years of pain turning into 10 years of success. <laughs> just you gotta be patient.
0: Yeah. I think the Mitch cough pick showed that, you know, Danny, oh, I is willing was willing to, you know, take some chances and just to kinda go for it in terms of of the plan and having and now he has a goal for three years from now, he's gotta have a team that's ready for Matt Bay Mitchkoff to come over and play it. And I think that's that was a really good thing for him and, and to be able to set the tone for where the team I love is it. going.
3: Mm-hmm. I love it. One of yeah, one of my favorite picks of the draft for real. Yeah, I like that one a lot
0: really as far as where the flyers are going from an outside perspective like what's your confidence level in danny breer
3: that's funny <laughs> this is one where it's it's like weirdly it's weirdly tough for me so like full disclosure that like the the last flyers team to make the cup is like literally my favorite non red wings team ever like the wayne simmons scotty hartnell like danny briere yager like that's like like i loved and like they played chicago which helped but like i loved that team and yeah. so like when i found out that like you know the the briere like the you know just hear seeing that name and just being like oh like that's you know the new gm like that put a smile on my face um i i do i mean to kind of echo some of the the points i made in the last uh question you asked like i i mean i do the The torts decision is, and I know that it's like it's you know, there's a GM change and whatnot, but it's it's just it's it's again, like just pick a direction. Like everyone just be in unison, everyone hold hands and and you know close your eyes and pick a direction and, and just go for it. i I do, I love the start to it. And like I said, i I love your draft this year. I really do. Um, it, it's just for me, I'm very, I think the next twelve months are going to be like the most telling for that, for this kind of regime. I, I think between uh, another year of, of free agency next year, another trade deadline this year, we're actually going to see the direction that we've been talking about so much that they end up picking kind of come to fruition. So I think it's, you know, not to cop out, but I think it's like a ask me on July 31st of next year, kind of thing that's that's right. than anything else. Cause it's
0: that's still so early. Totally
2: I, I mean, I have my questions regarding the higher, I mean, obviously, Steve Iserman coming back was like a dream come true. And hiring former, you know, all-time greats or notable players is kind of chic now. I mean, Red Wings is a plethora of old boys club. Chris Draper is your The entire director. front office is an old boys Nick club. Listrum's in there. Well, crumbles. that's what's in there, so there, there similar,
0: right? Yeah. Is but, but, that it's, you know, Keith Jones is the team president, and then they hired Patrick Sharp, and they hired John LeClaire. I mean, it's, it's like, crazy with, like the, similarities, the only, the only I caveat think.
1: i would have to that is that when iserman was doing that those guys had more experience
2: well and that's True. exactly kind of where i was going daniel briere was a special assistant previous to this right and it was named yeah. the interim general manager so how much of a role that's why i'm kind of like it's definitely going to be a wait and see type thing. Eisnerman kind of had that pedigree already. And granted, right. when he went to Tampa, they yeah. already had Steven Stamkos. They already had a couple really good pieces, but then he built on that, drafting Andre Vasilevsky, drafting Nikita Kucherov, guys like that. He brought in more talent. He built that roster. Ultimately, they won the stand. But he also had a chance away. for
1: Draper to work a year in a different mm-hmm. um, job and then promote him where these guys are just getting the promotions, you know? So. Bingo,
2: exactly. Sure. That's why I'm a little bit. I love the idea because, like, if Brier's is basically a hero in that town, he can become a greater hero. But you also risk tarnishing your legacy, much like Joe Dumars did with the Pistons here in uh, Detroit. So, I mean, or Ron
0: Hextall. I mean, exa- it, boom.
3: exactly. <laughs> nice.
0: you know?
2: it's it's an interesting move. I'm really curious to see how it's going to plan out. He hasn't done anything yet. I mean, drafting Mitchkov to me was a no brainer. Um, it sounds like Mitchkov kind of, from what I heard, maybe forced his way into Philadelphia. Um, being that he was like a Russian, I don't know how much truth there is to that. That's more uh, hearsay. I, I think he helped steer it. I think that's fair. It's, it's definitely like Scotty said, it's a wait and see approach. Like you're going to ask again next year and we'll see where we think he has done what he has done because this was an ownership decision, right? The, the ho- president of hockey ops and general manager were hired on the same day. It mm-hmm. wasn't like your president hired your next general manager and internally decided Briere was the best case scenario.
0: All right, guys, uh, this has been wonderful. Thank you lot fun. so much yeah. for joining us. We'll have to touch base again during the season or or toward the trade deadline and see what you're uh, <laughs> willing to give us for Travis Connecting. then. Right.
2: Yes. It'll Hopefully be a telling time for both of us, for sure. If we're having that conversation, yeah. the Red Wings season, season has gone well.
0: All right, that will do it for today's show. Such a fun conversation with those guys. Right? It really
1: was. Yeah, it was great. They're terrific guys.
0: They are and so knowledgeable about their team. Uh, Like I said earlier in the show, we are going to have that mailbag on the Wednesday show. So get those questions in via Twitter. You can email us or comment over on YouTube. I'm Rachel. I'm on Twitter at R Miriam. That's R-M-I-R-I-A-M.
1: I'm Russ. I'm at Sportsology, S-P-O-R-T-S-O-L-O-G-Y.
0: Have a great day, everyone.